Hello, and welcome to the Maiden to Mother podcast. My name is Natalie Bailey, and I'm thrilled you're here. Transitioning from the youthful years of maidenhood to the divine role of motherhood is an arduous journey, one of transformation, of growth, of beauty, and of chaos. In this space, we connect with women and professionals to hear their personal and witnessed experiences of women taking this amazing journey from maiden to mother. All right, so today we have a fantastic guest, a woman who um, our paths crossed, I think, by destiny, truly. I think that that was, we were just meant to uh, connect in some way, and I'm so excited to have her here uh, fully pregnant and awaiting her uh, next little one, which we'll get to. But I have the beautiful uh, Sherry Dostal Riba here with me, and I am so beyond excited to have you here. Um, this beautiful Thank goddess, <laughs> of course, is um, a practicing yoga therapist. Um, she is a an amazing goddess at supporting women through pelvic floor therapy and um, doing so online and in person, which, as I know through the birth work and obviously you know through yoga, how important um, that treatment is uh, for many women around the world. And um, she just shared with me before we started recording that she submitted her first book proposal that she has been working on. And I could not be more excited to uh, continue to track your journey, Sherry. It's just oh, hmm. so exciting. Thank you. Uh, yes. Like we'll have to keep everyone updated as to what happens. And um, like I said before, she is in full bloom of pregnancy awaiting her the arrival of her second daughter in mid-October. And as uh, most women usually are, I'm sure she'll take her sweet time and make her entrance, you know, quite known in certain ways, um, which I'm really excited about. So, Sherry, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for spending your morning with me. It means a lot. Mm, thank you for inviting me. Of yeah. course. Yeah. So, um, so we're going to do something really cool with Sherry, which I'm, I'm stoked about. Um, since she is, um, oh my gosh, what are you, 38 weeks pregnant? 39 almost? Yeah. Um, yesterday. Awesome. So we're going to get to do a two part series with her hearing about her journey from maiden to mother with her first daughter, Fern, um, potentially, depending on what she decides she actually wants to share. Um, and then we're going to do part two with her once her uh, second daughter arrives and kind of do a comparison of how these two journeys might be different or how her transition from maiden to mother may have shifted or even her perspective of it has shifted. Um, so I'm really excited to be able to do something unique like this. Um, and we will do with you, uh, Sherry, what we've done with our previous guests. And I want to give you the floor to share with our listeners um, what your maiden to mother journey, uh, transition or rite of passage, whatever you want to call it, um, has looked like for you? Hmm. <laughs> Such a big question. <laughs> it really is. Truly. Really. Oh gosh. And we, I mean, just a few weeks ago we had my blessing way and thank you again for hosting such a beautiful experience for me. Oh, my um, pleasure. That was the one thing that I, craved and desired and wanted, um, with this pregnancy was just to gather with women. Um, but I, I think I told you as we were starting the blessing way, how 
quite recently, like just with this pregnancy, I feel like my identity has more solidified as mother, mm. um, even though it's been, you know, kind of a long time coming. Um, no, trust me. I feel that. Yeah. Feel, yeah. It actually feels more, more real or more, um, yeah, like solidified as, as part of my identity, like I said. So gosh, years ago, um, I had had a, a planned pregnancy with my first husband, um, back in 2007. Um, I was in my mid twenties and, you know, I was very much like, on the path that I thought I was meant to be on. And, um, that shifted really, really dramatically. And suddenly where, um, we agreed to conceive. And then shortly after he left and we were separated and a couple of months after that, um, I was told that I should be miscarrying, but I hadn't miscarried on my Mm. own, um, at about 18 and a half weeks. So, you know, mid 20 something, I was like, yeah, I'm ready to be a mom. Let's do this. I've always wanted to be a mom. I've always known that I would have children, even though my identity is now finally coming around <laughs> to mm-hmm. that. Yep. I knew like very young that that was part of my reality, I guess. Um, and it just, it, it would have my, you know, my life would be so wildly different if I had had that child. Um, but it was, yeah, it was not, not meant to be, um, Mm. in that way. So yeah, tremendous like upheaval and self growth for that year or two, um, going through the divorce and all that. And I'm so thankful that I was able to have time to reflect and have time to travel and start my career and, basically do what I wanted, <laughs> Yeah, you know, throughout my twenties and things. Um, it would have, I think been beautiful in so many ways, but really challenging, um, you know, to co-parent in the situation that I was in at yes. that time. Um, so yeah, so I guess my, my maiden self, like I, I thought I was jumping into motherhood and then it, it, was like this huge divine intervention where the plug got pulled on several things in my life. And, um, I had to pick up the pieces and continue on. And, um, it was shortly after my divorce was final that I met Jason, my, my now husband and lover. And, you know, we've been (laughs) together 10, 10 years now, which is just crazy (laughs) to think about. It is. Um, totally crazy. And it was, Another very, very similar, um, easeful conception Mm. where it was like kind of the moment that I decided that I was ready, that it was like, yep, poof, here it is. (laughs) Um, Nice. Yeah. So it's that, that part for me of the motherhood journey, thankfully has been quite swift and aligned and like, that's what you want. Here it is. Go for it. Um, so we, yeah, we got pregnant with Fern in 2016. Yeah, we, we decided to start in June. We got pregnant in July. Um, we had just been to Portland for a gourmet century bike ride, like went and ate glorious food and drank beer and had coffee and rode 86 miles that day. And I didn't even oh. know I was pregnant. <laughs> Amazing. And then, like the week after I go in for like my normal, um, you know, women's health, pelvic health, 
exam or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I kind of, kind of have a feeling. I mean, I took a pregnancy test, but like the line was kind of fuzzy. Those darn lines. I know. <laughs> so she, of course, was like, well, let's just test, you know, do a blood test and see. Um, and sure enough, by that afternoon, it was a Friday. Um, by that afternoon, I had confirmation, um, you know, that my HCG levels were saying I was pregnant. Mm. Um, so it was, yeah, I, I sat with it for myself for however many hours, um, before Jason got home from work and shared with him that we were expecting. And there was like a little stunned moment (laughs) from, (laughs) from him, um, that it was real. Um, but we were both very, very excited and, um, yeah. And with that route, I, I went sort of a compromise between what I thought was a compromise between, um, more conventional care and midwifery care. So our insurance is at Kaiser, a a major hospital system, but I chose to work with the midwives there. Um, But I think because of the conventional medical model um, and then also some of what they thought they saw on an ultrasound, I ended up having like a little bit higher level of management for that pregnancy than I ever anticipated. Um, everything was fine. Um, Fern's totally healthy and brilliant and sassy. Um, (laughs) but, (laughs) but yeah, her, her journey, you know, to the, into the world, into our lives was not necessarily what I expected. Um, it Mm. really, uh, yeah, I, I went into that motherhood experience meaning labor and delivery feeling like totally convinced and sure of myself my body my my ability to breathe through it all to do it naturally to have a vaginal birth and you know 48 50 hours later um, we agreed to a cesarean because of her heart rate Um, you know her heart rate was dropping pretty significantly and consistently, um, at that point. Um, and I, you know, I was exhausted and depleted and dehydrated Sure. and my cervix was becoming swollen. And, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't willing to keep pushing for like not literal physical pushing. I was at eight for like 12 hours, but, um, so I was not like literally pushing, but I wasn't willing to push the envelope and make it more of an emergency. Um, once I knew that her heart rate was, was dipping and she wasn't really tolerating things very well anymore. Uh, it just was time. So, so yeah, being, being a public floor educator, I was like, <laughs> I just had a C-section. What in the hell? Uh, it really, it really messed with my, yeah, with my self-confidence and my, um, my identity and sense of worth. And, um, it was quite, quite devastating in many ways. And I think some of it or a lot of it was from my attachment to how I thought it was going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was also just the natural grief process of this huge rite of passage. Um, I think I also had overlooked or maybe didn't even realize um, some of my own past trauma from the miscarriage that played out physiologically mm-hmm during that labor and 
and even really reflecting like part part of me becoming a mother has been also like talking to my mom about my birth about her pregnancies and labors learning more about like my early imprints um and looking at like the matriarchal line in my family which has been severed for a long long time um my grandma's alive still but many of the people in our extended family don't really have any contact with her and haven't for a good 15 20 years so Mm -hmm. so that has been a big part of of my curiosity and my um self-study is like how how on earth do I (laughs) create these relationships with with my children and for them with with grandparents you know and like have that through line for them have that sense of lineage and belonging um generation after generation and and keep those relationships intact um so yeah Wow. I, I don't know. I mean, I could, I could keep going if you want me to, but, but that was, that was the big, big kind of surprise of, um, you know, Fern's birth going like what felt like very sideways. And then the morning of the blessing way, I woke up with this question and the feeling of the answer to this question. What if nothing went wrong with Fern's delivery? What if it all was perfectly normal? Hmm. And, and I had, you know, been over it so many times in my mind and in conversations and in journaling and, and all of that. And, um, it was really the first time that I felt like in my bones that like I didn't do anything wrong. There wasn't anything Mm -hmm. wrong. Nothing needed to be different. It just played out the way that it did. And I'm glad that Fern's here and healthy and, you know, thriving. Um, so that, that really, after like months of like very much dealing with, um, new thresholds professionally and personally, yeah, like with the book and all that, you know, like, like new thresholds, I believe bring up self-doubt very naturally because we're trying to do something new and different. Right. Um, But I had had such a, such a deep valley that I didn't expect postpartum with Fern that um, it felt like I had to sort of fight and claw my way back to any sense of like my capacity, my confidence um, to take on projects like this. And yeah. So the morning of the blessing way, it was like, Oh, Oh, now my, now my body and my heart actually trust that, I am a really great mother and a really great woman and that that my worth is not attached to how that birth played out. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, that's, that's profound. I I have, I have a a very, um, yeah, I I don't think it's a weird question. I don't think you you will either, but maybe other people will. When you (laughs) had that revelation um, the morning of your blessing way, where did you feel it in your body? Hmm. <sighs> Where did I feel it in my body? Um, well, it was, I was still in bed. I was very much still kind of in that not quite fully awake space mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. Um, 
think it maybe felt like it was everywhere, like a sense Mm. of relief, relief or like just feeling like I finally unloaded some last little bits of residue from from that experience and like the judgment that I put on myself for Mm. that. Um, And definitely since then, I have felt my heart space so much, (laughs) you know, like all throughout, you know, this last couple of weeks. um, Yeah. Just feeling sort of more warm, open. um, Yeah. Like necessary and very welcome tears. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, like, I guess, I guess kind of a softening towards myself that like, yeah, that that confidence and humility are, are this very much the same coin, you know, like that they mm. run together, like, like, how can I now move forward with my sort of restored confidence or boldness is what I called it talking to Linda like yeah. a year ago was like I miss my boldness like yeah kind of, you are I'm, like just waffling you know and like yeah. I feel like that's back now but it's really beautifully necessarily tempered with collaboration and community and humility now in a way that I mean maybe a lot of us in our 20s don't really understand humility totally but totally. I definitely did not <laughs> Yes. So, yes. Yeah, so to be able to move forward knowing that, um, that I have support and that like whatever I do moving forward professionally, especially is, is going to be so much better because of the relationships that I have around me and mm. other people's perspectives and ideas and that, you know, I have my embodied experience or stories of what I have, you know, been through or whatever. But, you know, the 50, 60 women in my online program, like I learned so much from them because they they deal with different things than I've experienced. And, um, yeah, I, I I can't experience maybe all of it in my own body. <laughs> right. But like in a that would be an endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a lot. Um, but, yeah, through sharing our stories and things, it's it's made me a better, better teacher and hopefully a better writer as I go into that project. So, yeah, I have no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really love the way you put that, that confidence and humility are like two sides of the same coin. I think that that truthfully, I think that that is uh, almost can kind of be a slogan of motherhood in a way. Right. And, mm-hmm. and when you really step into that role of motherhood, and I think I said this to you mm-hmm. um you know, when uh, at the blessing way, and I, it came up yesterday with um, my interview with Kelsey, uh, Kelsey Delane, and Yay. I did um, with uh, in the mother archetype uh, episode that I did, which is I'm I'm five years into motherhood, and I feel like just in the last six to eight months, I have finally, finally, fully stepped into the motherhood role in the way that feels healthiest to me, you know, without Mm. comparing it to other women's um, expression of motherhood, which is, I think what was hindering me was I was looking around at other women and going, Oh, that's how you're supposed to do motherhood. Oh, that's how they they do motherhood. And, and (laughs) kind of, you know, do what my mom always called that compare and despair type of 
um, uh, absorption. And I finally, I think now am realizing like, okay, no, I, I get, I get what motherhood is all about. And I think that what you said with confidence and humility, that is, um, that's a huge part of transitioning, um, from being a maiden to a mother and even just from a child to an adult, you know, mm-hmm. without those actual gender labels. I think that's, um, I think that's yeah. huge, you know, and, and something that some people have too much of one thing or the other. There's it's, it's work to find that balance. Right. And it's a practice. And, um, but I think just even recognizing that those two things can coincide together. And when, when practiced together beautifully can bring so much harmony and peace and, you know, that, that inner voice of wisdom that we all have is almost kind of amplified. It's, you almost get to, to turn the volume up of that inner voice, that inner knowing mm. when you have both of those things. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, and it makes me think of Brene Brown's like Netflix special. <laughs> yes. Like vulnerability and bravery, right? Like we yes. kind of expect that we have to be like one or the other, but they, they're both at play all the time. Right. And hopefully feeding each other in, in a healthy way. And like, like last night I was sitting, <clears throat> I had drafted the email, revised the proposal last Sunday, sat with it for a few days, checked in with my mentor, looked at it again last night and was just finally like, okay, I'm about to have this baby. I need to just send this <laughs> and yes. not keep pining over it. Yes. And so I got it like all drafted and ready to go and I couldn't hit send in just this kind of like mindless automatic like blah, 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 send yeah. way and I I paused and I grabbed Jason and Fern's hands and it was the first time we prayed as a family and I was oh my gosh. very simply teaching Fern like we're gonna do something called praying and here's here's what we're gonna do is that okay and she, yeah mama um and I just I prayed out loud for a few moments before I hit send because it feels like you know not only a big project for me to take on but Again, it's that whole community, motherhood, family aspect of it that, like, there's no way I could take this on. Well, I mean, maybe I could try, but I wouldn't want to take this project on without knowing that, like, my family's behind me and my community's behind me and just felt like it needed a moment in time to kind of mark it as special. Absolutely. <laughs> like, oh, I'm just sending another, like, admin email or whatever. So it just... Yeah, it felt felt nice to have that moment of, you know, humility or vulnerability, but also like the confidence to hit send and maybe be negotiating a contract like in a month. It just it feels kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, but, but that, how what a beautiful like recognition, you know what I mean, of something profound. And I don't know that that's thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. And I'm uh, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited for you to be able to, to see what this is all going to, how this is all going to unfold and mm. you'll have a new daughter or a new woman in the world and, you know, getting mm. to her, so her to that and having Fern sharing it with you and, you know, her getting, I know she's still young, but every day they get a little bit more turned online. Uh-huh. Right. And she'll really be yeah. paying attention and watching and what a gift <laughs> she's going to have to watch her mom, you know, navigate motherhood again, along with, having the opportunity and the blessing to 
be fully expressive in her professional career. You know, that's mm. really beautiful, I think. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's going to be, that's mm. going to be amazing. Um, I, I really want to, if you're open to it, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious about this, um, the broken, um, matriarch line in your, in your family and, um, just what, because I know that that's not uncommon and that's the only reason I want to speak on it because I don't feel like we talk about it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not, we don't share very much about that kind of stuff in our lives, obviously, because it is private at times. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, there is some comfort I think in knowing that, um, others are not alone if they're experiencing that same thing. And I would love to know how you, now in hindsight, if it even, if it even is relevant, how mm. do you think that that, this sense of, um, maybe just we'll call it disruption in the matriarch line of your family, do you think it had any impact at all on, um, your pregnancy with Fern or even her delivery or even this pregnancy in any way? Hmm. How did that impact? Yeah. Um, if at all, truthfully. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I don't know that it consciously played out. Um, you know, I, I wasn't as hooked into this, like, period or, or um, questioning until postpartum more so with her. Okay. Um, it wasn't as much while I was pregnant with her. Um very much like when I found myself in the valley, <laughs> right, uh, right? I found myself, you know, calling my mom a lot more and asking her more questions about, um, you know, those early imprints and experiences. But I think what what I maybe could relate to it was, um, hmm. yeah, I think during the labor it was more from my own um, personal physiological history of the miscarriage because the mm. the miscarriage was a dnc um okay the day after i found out that the baby was gone pregnancy wasn't viable they had all kinds of like medical language of explaining why i was still pregnant but the baby wasn't living anymore and hmm. did pathology testing and all kinds of stuff and everything was was negative um and for me that was a big spiritual nod of I needed time between Mm. my separation and the miscarriage. Like I I don't know how I would have handled both of those things at the same time. Um, So I think that played out more in my body with dilation of like, you know, the, the only other experience of dilation I had had was under general anesthetic with this very um, kind of sudden traumatic loss yeah, that I wasn't expecting. Um, <clears throat> but then after, um, I think, I, I think after Fern was born was when I was curious about more of the ancestral line mm. and how that was playing out because there were just things that seemed again, kind of otherwise unexplainable. Um, and I had some body work and a, a gifted friend of mine that can see, Auras, colors, imagery, whatever. Um, she has a massage therapy background, but also has this sort of, um, is it clairvoyance when you see? 
versus yes. like clear audience or whatever. Anyway. Yes. Um, yeah, she, she had come to visit and was working on me and there was a very specific place in my body and very specific kind of reaction to, um, being touched in that specific place that kind of unleashed this really interesting kind of wave of heat and nausea and, um, disorientation. Like it felt very much like I was about to go up and out of wow. myself. Um, and it, it took, a, you know, a good little while to come back kind of into myself or the room around me. Um, and when we talked about it afterwards and then through other conversations, the same kind of imagery had come up where it was this very dark, very old something uh, from wow. my sacrum and spine that that was now finally releasing. Um, and yeah, I don't know that I'll never know exactly, of course, but <laughs> but that that makes me think about um more of the ancestral line and how how crazy it is to think about like you know the the egg that made me was existing in my mom when she was in grandma and you know like just yeah the biology crazy. of it is wild yeah, it's mind-blowing <laughs> um, it really is yeah and you know it's like okay well if if I do believe in embodiment and epigenetics and you know some of this newer research um I do put some faith in it and, you know, science is starting to come around with how much influence it does have on, on our behaviors, our patterns, our health. Um, so yeah, it was kind of afterwards that I got more into that line of research and questioning and curiosity and, um, yeah. And a year ago when I was in Bali with, um, the ceremonies that we did, we did, um, a different couple different things, one at a temple and one at a family compound. Mm. Um, and the family compound one was a water ceremony. Um, yeah. And that, that experience also was very much like, this is not just my experience, but right before I stepped in, you know, kind of filed in the three of us in, in line, um, to get water dumped over our heads while this guy was chanting and this woman was coaching us along <laughs> um, <laughs> right before I like started getting doused with water. I had that, that intention come through of like, this is for like all the women in my family. This is for my mom and my grandma and for me to somehow, I guess, break, break cycles of yeah. what they dealt with and what they experienced with and to be able to come forward as more ready and able to love turn um, in ways that she needs and maybe to restore that, that line from here forward. Yeah. And I mean, gosh, what, what unbelievable work to place on, you know, a new mother uh, on top mm -hmm. of, you know, <laughs> sleep deprivation and nutrition and <laughs> yeah. all this stuff to then have this revelation at some point or for any mother too, you know, to realize like, not only am I in charge of keeping this small human alive and thriving, but I think the modern woman, which is why we see 
in my opinion, uh, why we see so much anxiety and depression within mothers postpartum, among other things. But I think part of it is the modern woman is realizing, oh, my gosh, I've got a lot of stuff to heal for my family because Mm -hmm. we are becoming a little bit more aware, I think, as a culture and understanding, just like you were saying, with even with scientific research showing us that we hold on to things without even knowing it, you know, those, yeah. they're in our subconscious, which like you said, they're imprints. And, um, the modern woman I think is realizing that on top of being a mother and being an individual woman and a partner or a wife, we also have to do our own work so that we then can not necessarily prevent our children from having wounds because there's only so much obviously that we can do and control in that, but at least, work to uh, repair some generational uh, trauma, you know, that we mm-hmm. see in our own family. And I, I, I've seen the same thing coming from a family where as women, we didn't talk about our problems. It was, you know, everything went to God. We didn't talk about it. And, um, and, you know, even coming from, I, I mean, I didn't know anything about my mom's birth and she quite frankly uh, didn't really even to this day, I just, oh, I got an epidural and then you were out. Like there was just no details. Mm-hmm. In it. It's just so yeah. fascinating, you know? Um, and so I think that's huge. And I'm, I'm really glad with where that answer to that question went and, and what you, where you took us, because I think that that's, um, I think that's huge. Something really that, uh, not enough women and kind of truthfully, one of the reasons I have this podcast going is so that we can share these stories and, bring to light the importance of um, really self-inquiry as women, you know, even before we have children and understanding our lineage and understanding these archetypes and how they play out in our lives and their roles so that we can then move forward with, just like you said, confidence and humility in our, in this new role. Um, That was awesome. Thank you, Sherry, for that. That's, yeah, that's really cool. Really cool. Thank you. Um, Okay, so I have some questions for you that I would love to know what you, uh, how you feel about them. So, um, and these are questions that I ask each of our um, wonderful interviewees. Um, and it's, I always love to see where this leads us. So um, it always goes in ways I never thought it would, which is the best part. Um, well, how would you, and I can't wait to hear this from you, how would you describe your personal expression of archetype? <laughs> Who are you as a maiden, Cherry? <laughs> I, just, I love so that you're hard. laughing already. <laughs> this one was so hard for me. <laughs> just, just like very recently kind of feeling more solid in my identity as a mother, it's also been just in the last handful of years, like three, four, five years, that I've really um, – come to understand myself more in the context of, Oh, I'm a woman. I'm, I'm a grown woman on this planet. And what does that mean? Um, so how did I express made an archetype? Um, I, <laughs> Oh gosh. Yeah. It's so, super hard for me. To Let it marinate. Um, I'm sure something's in yeah, there. I mean, I think a lot of it is, um, almost like feeling, uh, I guess, feeling like an old soul through most of my teen and college years. Um, I 
didn't really care about fashion other than like in high school, I had, you know, grunge friends and raver friends and I was on the dance team doing the pom pom thing, you know, and like I was sort of chameleon like where I, I could adapt and have friendships with a lot of different people. Um, but didn't feel like I had like my core group of like my girls, my posse, like I, um, I feel that. So that, so that was, that was interesting. And, um, I mean, I guess like my perception of Maiden is like the, the image you posted of you and Luna, of like the, the sparkles, the pink, the hearts, the, um, sort of like being in that like kind of earlier expression of, of, the feminine, which I didn't know what that meant for me um, Mm -hmm. until more recently. Um, So yeah, like I was laughing with Jason because both of my pregnancies now with, with Fern about a month before I gave birth to her, I bought a random pair of black and red Nike runners, like old school sneakers um, and then just oh, this past, <laughs> and then just this past weekend, I bought these like snakeskin print. Um, they're kind of like Converse Chucks, but not Converse Chucks. But mm-hmm. they have like snake snakeskin print on them, and I'm like, oh yeah, right now. <laughs> I love it. There's so there's this element of like you know fashion or self expression or appearance adornment beauty. Um, and I, I remember, like, in my earlier 30s also having conversations with girlfriends about, like, makeup and waxing and, you know, like. Totally. I didn't have those sorts of um, curiosities or interests in, like, my adolescent years, like I think mm-hmm. a lot of young women do. <laughs> yes. I was yes. just, like, doing my thing and figuring out life and I knew what I wanted you know professionally and like I was on on the path like doing it go get her um and it's yeah it's been really kind of fun to see myself as a woman kind of transition from like post miscarriage and divorce into my relationship with Jason and and now into mothering as well that there's um there's more room for <laughs> adornment and yeah. and yeah. style if maybe I don't know I'm I'm pretty minimalist for the most part on a lot of things but um I'm pretty excited about my new sneakers <laughs> I love it oh my god I love it I think that's amazing <laughs> that's incredible well and you bring up a really good point that you know I think there's um there's kind of this misconception of what the maiden looks like, like what she, mm. who she should be, you know? And, um, you know, I, the maiden is whoever you are in your youth, you know? And then the yeah. mother is whoever you are whenever you transition into adulthood or, and whatever the hell that means, you know? How do yeah. you feel when you're an adult, <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think that it's very different. And I think that it's almost a little bit, again, why it's so important that these archetypes are even, widely known and understood is that there there are certain traits of a maiden but she doesn't look a certain way you know she she may have these characteristics um and and aspects of her personality but they're going to be expressed in different ways and you know then i think it goes back to so much of this female empowerment that we're seeing 
um, which is so wonderful for both of our daughters, you know, and I love it in that it's just whoever you are is who you are. And, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful. And we want you to be who you are because we need the individuality and the uniqueness. And, um, and then that's what's going to make dynamic mothers and dynamic crones and, you know, these mm-hmm. expressions later in life that are so fun and so exciting because I, I mean, I've, I don't know if I, I don't know where this came from, at least in my own mind. But I just, I've always looked at, okay, this is what a maiden looks like. And then this is what a mother looks like. And then this is what a crone looks like. And if you're not doing these things, then you're not doing it right. You know, cause I'm mm. always the type A personality. Okay. How do I do it right? <laughs> and, yeah. You know, and, and that's where I think why it's taken me personally so long. And maybe this is true for you too, to really like step into this role because I've had this revelation of like, oh, no, I can be no matter what I do, I'm a mother and I'm an adult and I need to start seeing myself in that manner. Um, and then other people will, too, and they will either accept my expression of motherhood or not. And whatever, either way, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, having that confidence, but also the humility to go, well, I may express myself this way as a mother and you may not like it. And that's all right. And yeah. we can move on forward from there. So, <laughs> yeah. And you, I, I feel like recently you said or shared something um, about sexuality as well from yes. the maiden perspective. And, yeah. um, you know, I very candidly, I've only had two partners in my whole life, my first husband and my current husband. Mm. Um, you know, and sure, I've had like other boyfriends or other, you know, intimate experiences outside of, you know, intercourse. But, Right. Um, I think that was initially, you know, raised, I, I was raised with the idea of abstinence and mm-hmm. there was, um, very much this sense of like, my body's powerful, sex is powerful. I'm not going to mess around with this until I know that I'm ready and responsible. Yes. Um, so it maybe started through kind of fear or even like a, a prudish quality mm-hmm. at times. Of yeah. Like, like I said, no, and I mean it, you know, and I, I'm like so <laughs> proud of my young maiden self for, you know, like when, when peers or friends of mine, you know, there were several people at homecoming my junior year that were like fully pregnant, um, oh as you know, prom quarter, homecoming quarter, whatever it was. And so, you know, on one side, I'm like so proud of myself for always knowing how to say no and, and kind of like own my sexuality as mine um, until I was ready. But then also like the flip side of that, of, you know, being in the safe long-term relationship that I'm in with Jason, um, you know, like there was a short little season of time where I was like, wait a minute, I can be as slutty as I want. I am a married woman and I can do anything that comes to mind and like, let's go for it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that, that aspect of maiden again was sort of like dormant when lots of my friends were being, you know, all sorts of promiscuous or whatever. Right. Um, that didn't come out for me until much later. <laughs> yes. Um, but it's been, it's been fun. <laughs> well, and you know, the, you, maybe that aspect of your maiden self comes out when you feel safe, you know? I yeah. mean, I think that, Um, and, and just because we transition, and I say this a lot, I feel like just because we transition into motherhood doesn't mean that we leave behind the Mm. beautiful characteristics and traits of the maiden. You know, I think that it's, 
actually unhealthy for us not to pull some of those in with us as yeah. we become other because, um, you know, who we are as a maiden up until fill in the blank age that we transition into motherhood. I mean, that was our foundation. That was our rock. That was our mm. solid ground for so long. And so then to just step away from that and expect us to fully own a new role that we've never had before and not have a foundation on which to stand is, you know, setting us up for failure. And so just, you know, your, your sexuality was in there. It just was waiting for you to transition into a, maybe a, a more comfortable or comforting relationship for you to really mm. be that, you know? And so here yeah. she is in all her goddess nature and, <laughs> you know, and eroticism and whatever it may be. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a beautiful expression, you know, and then you get to do, you get to not obviously, you know, not expose your daughter to that by any means. And in, in for a while, but you have confidence in that so that when she reaches that age where she's mm-hmm. beginning to explore that or you're seeing it being explored within her, then yeah. you're confident in it yourself and you can approach it so beautifully with her, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's such a gift. Well, speaking of your maiden self, um, yes. if you can go back in time and give your maiden self one piece of advice, what would it be? <laughs> um, <laughs> sisterhood, which would have required me slowing down and doing less in terms of, um, you know, like I remember in college, just moving from class to rehearsal to private client back to rehearsal. To, it was wild. Um, wow. And years after my undergrad, I remember talking with a friend. Um, we were both in the dance program together. She's like, you, you sound, you sound so calm. <laughs> you sound so good, Sherry, like so calm and like you've really settled. <laughs> and I was like, nice. What do you mean about like when I was in school? Was I like an absolute basket case or like my hair, <laughs> my hair like I stuck my finger in the socket and my hair was all crazy or, you know, I was like, wow, what was their perception of me? Like as this kind of more go getter focused, driven young woman. Um, and I, I love that about myself, but I think that that was one of the ways that I, um, it was absolutely a strength, but also maybe one of the things that hindered my ability to like really drop in and, and have, you know, heart to heart conversations or, or relationships with peers at that time in my life. Um, so yeah, so sisterhood for sure. Um, which I'm, I'm happy that now I have in my life. (laughs) Well, and you know, who's to say that you would even have been ready for it at that time? You know, I mean, it's always hindsight's always 2020, right? I mean, if you, if someone had gone to you, excuse me, and said, Hey, you know what? Sisterhood is what you need right now. You may not have been receptive to that, you know, Mm -hmm. and the beautiful thing is now you understand the value of it. You would, you know, obviously give your um, maiden self that piece of advice, but now you have, the opportunity to pass it on to your daughters so that they don't, you know, miss out on that and they can mm-hmm. really uh, benefit from it. And I mean, first and foremost, they're going to see it from you as a role model and how much you value it and how much you gain from it. And then that will become something that's important to them, mm-hmm. hopefully as well. You know, so it's, it's, excuse me, again, it just comes back to um, continuing to evolve ourselves as women so that we can then uh, glean our own lessons from our own experiences and pass them on. You know, that's what I feel like motherhood really is, is just, Hey, here's where I fucked up, you know, 
hopefully mm-hmm. I can kind of help you too and move from there, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is what I think our children want that we're supposed to be their mm-hmm. guides and give them that. Yeah. Advice, you know? Yeah. It's totally a hindsight thing where, <laughs> yes. you know, it's easy to look back now and, um, you know, feel like there was that, that sense of lack or longing mm-hmm. for those friendships, um, at that point in my life or like, to have those friendships now that have the longevity of the 10, 20 plus years. Yes. You know what I mean? Like other people that have friends from high school that they're still like Jason has such tight relationships with the guys that he grew up with. And it's Mm. incredible to see, you know, that just, yeah, the longevity of their friendship is really beautiful. But, um, but I also feel like that, Clarity was part of um, maybe my destiny or, (laughs) you know, like I knew what I wanted and I knew career wise, like I've been in this movement embodiment kind of soup for my whole professional life. And it has brought me to the point now where I can do the work that I'm doing and help people in the way that I help them and be like, you know, looking this book contract in the eye. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. at 37 versus like, you know, putting all of that on hold for maidenness or motherness. And then, you know, like, and then what, like, who am I after that? Like, right. I, I was always very aware of, I guess, myself as an individual and wanting to utilize that and cultivate myself in that way. Um, and felt like, like I always had a very clear path forward professionally. Um, so that just was part of, I don't know, part of my journey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That that was like what kind of took hold or took over for a lot of those younger years. Um, yeah. And look at how much it served you now. You know, I mean, again, it's just always hindsight to look back. You might, <clears throat> we always see what we were missing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. When we look back, but now you can look back and go, oh, I see now what, you know, what I had and how that help to mold you into the woman you are and what um, what a beautiful example you're going to be for your daughters that, you know, setting the foundation of who you are in your maiden years and staying true to that when you transition into your motherhood years is uh, paramount, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it has to happen um, because that loss of identity, I think, um, is another aspect of what causes a lot of unnecessary um, and self-sabotaging suffering, I think, for women when they transition, you know, they give up the things that they know are actually what they need and beneficial for their yeah. selves to thrive in order to take care of their children. When in reality, their children need and want a happy and thriving mom, whatever that means, you know, what yeah. I mean? in the long run. Um, so, yeah, that's that's awesome. Well, what has been. um the most profound lesson you have learned as a mother, and you may have kind of already answered that, but mm. if something else has come up. <laughs> um, prof- most profound lesson as a mother. <sighs> yeah, I think growing up <laughs> just in general <laughs> of like finding, and it's again, a total paradox in some ways of like, the thing I most looked forward to pregnant with Fern was more play, like mm-hmm. more lightness, more play, more space, less work, less seriousness. Um, and so there, there is that side of it, like, you know, spending all morning the other day, just 
having her run around in her dinosaur costume, (laughs) like, you know, versus like doing something productive. So Mm -hmm. there's so much more play and joy, but there's also this, like this fierceness of like adulting or growing up and holding myself accountable in a much more clear kind of fierce way that like, if I'm going to work, I'm doing exactly this and I'm focused for this amount of time. And these are the things that I'm going to do to like move the needle forward and everything else can wait. Um, so there's a lot more discipline or focus or, or clear boundaries Mm. when I am doing professional things. But then the contrast of that is like, we total freedom and, (laughs) and joy and play and silliness. Um, to complement that. Um, so it's, yeah, it's an interesting paradox that like, I would say growing up and or discipline, um, and, and choosing for this pregnancy, like I mentioned more of the conventional model and midwifery at Kaiser for Fern's pregnancy, um, choosing a much more autonomous route, this pregnancy, uh, has been part of that of like, how much do I trust my body? How much do I trust embodiment and lifestyle practices? And, you know, like walk my, walk my walk or talk my talk or whatever the phrase yeah. is. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, like, you know, like really trusting that I'm pregnant until something changes, you know, yep. like, like either my body will tell me that this, this one's not going to be full term and, you know, result in a birth or I'm pregnant until a baby comes out of my body. And <laughs> yeah, I, and I don't need all of the other, you know, confirmations or tests or appointments or, you know, all the kind of standard prenatal care. Um, so choosing that more autonomous route this time, um, has been a big part of that growing process as well of like, I'm, I'm doing my walks and I'm doing my yoga and I'm taking my vitamins and I'm, making space for my relationship and for sex and, you know, all the things that I know will ultimately lead to potentially the outcome that we want, you know, in terms of a a healthy baby and a healthy labor and birth. So yeah. And like not taking that from an outside authority so much this time, but really owning it for myself and being an adult, a grown ass woman for the, those things. <laughs> well, and I, so, like, I had, yeah. when you were saying, um, I, this, it was, I just had like kind of a, I like to call them downloads. I, you know, you're saying like, just, I'm going to be pregnant until my body decides this one will join us earth side or it will not. And I, you know, my first thought was to say, Oh, it's so much easier said than done. And then I got this little voice in my head that was like, no, it really is that easy. It's the attachment to the outcome and the attachment to the lack of control that we have as women that I think causes our suffering. If we really can just sit in what you said, say, well, you know, I'm either a baby's either going to come out, you know, one way or another. And there's only so much I can do. But then you sitting in your power and your authority and saying the things that I can do, I'm committed to doing so that regardless of the outcome, I can still step back, obviously have grief and emotion, you know, related to what may happen, but really being able to then step back and know I did everything Mm -hmm. I could. 
you know, and I, and, and not only did you do everything that you could, you owned it yourself, you know, so you really didn't have to, you don't feel accountable to an outside authority or, you know, that there's a, someone to blame or someone to lean into. It's like, nope, I have to own this. And that subsequently, I think you could take mm. the other aspect of it and say that's mortifying, too, because having <laughs> accountability and responsibility is that's heavy shit. You know, that's a yeah. lot. And so, yeah, and I think that that's maybe what scares some women away. But I mean, what you said is just so simple yet profound. You know, mm. you're going to be pregnant until you're not one way or the other. And mm. um that's big. That's, that's yeah. awesome. It's been really huge, uh, a huge part of, because we're planning to birth at home and yeah. I haven't been very public per se about, um, contemplating free birth or unassisted for a long while. And then around 32 weeks, we, we, or I, <laughs> my husband <laughs> just pretty much like, I want a happy wife and a healthy baby, whatever you want. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, thank you, Jason. Um, yes. But yeah, it was, it was that like week. Yeah, it was that like week 32 where I was like, whoa, this, this is getting real. I'm getting big. I'm in third trimester. Like I, I need to commit one way or the other. And I just, yeah, we, we spoke about that weeks yes, ago. We um, where I was wanting to be all in to birth at home unassisted for this VBAC, but really there was something in me. And I think the timing of like, you know, how, how things transpired for us weeks ago as well was very much again, like a divine nod of it's okay for you to be witnessed. It's okay for you to have support. It's okay to not try to do this alone. Like you've done a lot in your life and you're very capable, but birth is a great big unknown. And it's, it was part of, cause I struggled with like hiring a midwife being like me giving responsibility and power to that outside authority, yeah. like, like you had said. Yeah. Um, but for me, I sat with it for a long while and realized like, no, this is actually me being in, in my power, so to speak, um, to honor that I want a witness and I want support and I want someone that knows birth so much more than I do um, to be there for us. Um, and if it, you know, turns out still to be more of an independent experience, just Jason and I, that's fine. But we know that there's that underlying safety of me trusting that having someone present is, is what we need. So yeah, it's an interesting, yeah, mix of like, somehow this feels so much more autonomous, (laughs) um, than, you know, doing it alone um because mm-hmm. i think that 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 lesson of like community and sisterhood as i mentioned earlier that's been part of my journey of like it was maybe a blind spot earlier in life um and now i'm more aware of it that like that's one of my my big lessons is like stepping into collaboration and witnessing and letting letting that vulnerability in mm-hmm. so yeah Yeah. So having her present will be good. I think. I think so too. And I think one of the things that you mentioned earlier was how you have learned so much from the women in your online course and how valuable that has been to be a witness to what they have learned or to Mm. receive through sharing and connection, what they have learned, because 
as you stated, there's no way you can learn those lessons all on your own in one lifetime. So that's the beauty of inviting people into your lives in significant moments like this is you get to glean from their wisdom, their knowledge, their experience, and then subsequently they get to learn from you. I mean, I don't know a single midwife who doesn't go to a birth and leave learning something new each time. And if they don't, then, you know, maybe they need to go back and reevaluate their practice. (laughs) There's not a single, I mean, as a doula, I've, I've been to 30 births, had three of my own children. Each of them was not a single one of them looked like the other. Um, and that was what's so beautiful is that just like you said, birth is a, is a huge unknown and, um, much like death, you know, we don't know anything about death and we can't control it and we can't predict it and we can't, um, you know, we, we can't quantify it or even a lot of times just even cognitively conceive mm. it. And birth is the same way. We can know that there's a baby inside you because an ultrasound shows it and we can feel it and we can, you know, hear things and all the things. But I mean, in terms of how that baby comes out, man, there's that right there. You, you know, you, you gotta have someone. I mean, even with my mm-hmm. free birth, it wasn't me in the middle of the woods by myself, you know, it was, <laughs> was there, you know, and so yeah, you, you don't do anything alone in life and except, you know, work on yourself, I suppose, internally, but that's not what birth is. You know, birth is a, a community event and it should be. I mean, it's the welcoming of a soul yeah. onto this planet. That's, that's a profound thing. I think we've lost that too. I think that's what, you know, is so troubling for me in hospitals is these women are just another patient. It's like, no, mm-hmm. man, it's like, this is another person on the earth. Like take a step back from that. We just had another soul join our earth. That's big, you know, like that's huge. And not only that, but this woman just gave of her body for how long? I could go on. I'm sorry. I'm getting off on a tangent. <laughs> it's okay. Well, and it feeds back into your other question, a little segue. Yeah. Of, you know, you asked about, like, uh, how how mothering is seen societally or culturally, you know, and, and how it's supported and then maybe how it is hindered or downplayed or yes. seen as a disadvantage. And um that was a big deciding factor for me to do a home birth, which, you know, moved, like we said, from unassisted to now we have a midwife that's going to be attending. And a huge part of it was the postpartum care. Like yes, for me to have had the experience that I had birthing Fern and have one appointment to check in six weeks later just seems totally ludicrous. Right. And I'm thankful that, you know, the, the midwife that I saw for that postpartum checkup actually did sit with me and talk for over an hour. Um, wow. which is very unheard of you yeah. know, in, in that model, but I think she could tell that I was in a bad way. Um, you know, and it was like a, an evening appointment, you know, and we, we just sat and talked for quite a while. Um, and that was incredibly healing and yet it was the only visit that I had or that I was like granted from, you know, our insurance and like that model. So having someone attend this birth for us, a big part of it was okay for me to come out more myself, more intact, more thriving on the other side of this birth experience. I want that relationship or that witnessing to see me through you know, those early days and weeks postpartum. Um, and I, I think that there's been, you know, a big swell or rise in, in 
cultural consciousness with like Mm -hmm. Kimberly Johnson's work, the fourth trimester, the first 40 days, like there are people doing amazing work for postpartum care and, you know, women's advocacy and things like that. Um, Yes. But it's it's still not the norm <laughs> by any means. Oh, no, no, um, far from it. Have to fight for it and ask for it, and often pay out of pocket for it. Um, yes. And I I would love to see that change in yes. you know like in like Fern's lifetime for sure, wow. if not way sooner. Um, you know that birthing at home is not seen with such stigma, and you know having that level of support and care is standard instead of like a luxury or an out-of-pocket like expense that people may not just have access to Um, you know and don't have access most people don't have access to it yeah I mean it it really is I think that there's a lot of things around birth that are Mm -hmm. considered luxuries you know I mean in place of prenatal care with my uh son Pax I had massages every week. I was like, well, we're going to spend, we would have spent this money on a midwife or something anyway. So I'm going to do this instead. And I just, I remember getting those and being like, oh my God, like I even turned to my massage therapist. Like, why doesn't every woman, why isn't everyone yeah. gifted this? This should be given by friends and family to this woman in, in, you know, as a means of saying, we love you and support you, not a bunch of onesies or, you know, whatever. <laughs> you can literally yeah. at this point just order on Amazon and have delivered to your house. Like that's not special or unique. Like, but <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I don't mean to sound cynical, but like that I yeah. feel like is yeah. the best expression of love that we can give to mothers in our society is to take care of them yes. in pregnancy and postpartum, not to give them stuff. I mean, that's just so surface, but like really to mm-hmm. say, Look, I have this this currency called money that we value in society, and I'm going to use it to support you and uplift you and make sure that you feel as though you are vibrant and thriving, either in pregnancy or postpartum, because we understand the importance and value of a happy, healthy mom to then create a happy, healthy future citizen, you know, and, and, and contributor to our world. And I think that's where we, like you were kind of saying, like where we kind of hinder it. But I think on the token, just like you said, we are starting to see more support, you know, mm-hmm. for the mother, which is it's, it's slow coming, but it's there. And, uh, you know, I, I've gotten a little frustrated lately with some people who really just keep pushing for more and more. And I'm like, okay, I, I agree. We do need more, but let's take a step back for just a minute and see, how far we have come. I mean, we're not strapping women down anymore and knocking them out to give birth. You know I mean? That's yeah. a huge yeah. step, you know, and fathers are in the, the birthing room and, um, you know, midwives, there's more midwives now than there were, you know, 10 years ago. And so I think we've come a long way and I think it's a, mm-hmm. a really, a really good thing. Oh, that was yeah. fun. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I have one last question for you. Um, what wisdom do you have to share for those who are beginning to, or, currently moving through this, this sacred rite of passage. Mm. <laughs> Being so much <laughs> two weeks or however many days she decides to stay in there. And cook. Yep. Um, yeah. It's interesting to like, Oh, what, what, what advice do I have for others? Um, oh gosh. Well, I mean, or what advice do you have for yourself, Sherry? What do you need to hear yourself say yeah. out loud? You know, well, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the prayer flags that are now hanging on the bedroom wall where mm-hmm. I will be laboring at home. And uh, I wrote 
surrender across one of them and there's two triangles. So there's a triangle above the word surrender that aims upward and a triangle below that aims downward. And, and for me, I usually choose a word each year and these past few years, it's been more like 18 months or something to marinate yeah. and like stay with a word. <laughs> yep. Um, but for this year I chose the word deliver and mm. you know, I, I knew that I was planning to conceive and again, just like clockwork, it was very much like, yep, you said, yes, here you go. Pretty much mm-hmm. the next morning, like pretty sure that worked. Um, <laughs> so there's like no delay on the conception side, but like this, this, element of trust and surrender that that I can deliver right like so this growing up discipline owning what's mine to to do and embody and understand and then also like fully letting go of whatever is not mine to do or understand or fix or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, and absolutely just trust and surrender has been one of the the harder parts of the journey for me. Um, and this word deliver, like there's, there's like, what's mine, you know, like I will deliver a baby at home, which implies vaginally versus, you know, a VBAC versus hospital setting or interventions or whatever. Right. Um, but there's the spirituality part of it as well of like being delivered. <laughs> yes. And like spiritual deliverance of like having that faith of the great unknown of birth has been going on for generation after generation after generation. And as long as I feel safe and supported and embodied, I trust that it will go how it needs to go. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, that aspect of surrender for me, I could like, you know, sing it from the rooftops from here until she comes out. Um, yep. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and maybe like, like that fine line. Um, I had a, a public floor session myself uh, last Friday uh, with a woman in San Diego. Um, and she described how I was talking about the home birth. She described it as you're so beautifully stalking your prey. Like, you, you know what you want. And she called up that predator energy of, like, I'm assuming she, she trained with Kimberly Johnson. So I'm assuming I was going to say, kind of, that yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming she was talking about the activate your inner jaguar energy or that course that Kimberly teaches. But, um, so it was this beautiful image of, like, you know, this, this slow, deliberate, very intently focused stalking of the prey, like, trusting that I will remain safe and supported at home to birth this child and having that conviction again that my body can and will do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet also like if I lose sight of the prey or like they scamper off in a different direction or whatever, like there will be a different prey that I can mm-hmm. stop. <laughs> Totally. And like, and like, I know how to change course. I know how to redirect. I know how to use my voice and speak up and advocate for myself. So realizing that I'm, um, I still very much do not want to go to the hospital. That's clear. Sure. But knowing that I'm not necessarily afraid to 
transfer if there is, you know, very clear evidence that points us in that direction, that that's the wisest thing for us to do, that, that I know I'll be okay on the other side of it and I'll be able to speak up for myself during, um, and that we have, you know, this continuum of support as well from the midwife, that if that is what needs to happen, um, that she'll be present in advocating for us as well. So, um, so yeah, again, another paradox of like being so convicted about what we value, what we believe, what we want, and yet like so humbled at the feet of birth <laughs> that yeah. I have no idea how this is going to go. And I know that I will, I was going to say do my best, but I'm going to say be my best instead because yes. I think it's about being and just that dropping in an embodied state um, that we need to be in for birth. But yeah, so surrendering to the, the vision um, of what I want so clearly. I love that. And I mean, I, I've always been under this guise that if someone tries to tell you that they know something, like without a doubt, you should run because <laughs> nobody, nobody knows, you know, what's going to happen. It's like, well, you know, especially in birth when we've got uh, doctors, okay, well, this is this is what's going to happen, and they say it with such conviction and such, you know, authority. I'm always like, ma, I don't know, man. I don't know if you know that, especially if you're a man. I can't really, you know, say that you're not <laughs> know that. Um, and yeah. you know, as a doula, when I had clients that didn't really have much fear around birth, um, that scared me. That made me nervous. And I don't mean fear in that, you know, you should be afraid of birth, but the kind of fear where it keeps you alert and keeps yeah. you cautious and keeps you aware um, that just, no, you, this is bigger than you. This is bigger than what you understand um, mm -hmm. and bigger than what we can really comprehend. And so, you know, I think that that's, that's a, a big thing. You know, you, you've done, again, you've done all your work to know what it means to surrender, but surrender also means, um, you know, taking control of what you can and, and leaving what you can't, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but, oh my God, I love that imagery of you stalking. <laughs> that's just, that's so rad. That's, that's so, yeah. uh, yeah. Oh, I don't know. That's just amazing. And it's fun. Like if I can imagine listening wants to like get down on your hands and knees and like pretend that you're stalking. I've done it in workshops before and it's oh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, just, so like, primal like and, silky oh. primal, like panther, yeah. um, kind of quality and like, yeah, like there's, there's this fierce sort of direct quality to our eyes, like at least from my experience of doing this as like a semantic exercise, right? Um, yeah. There's there's like a very intense, direct quality to our gaze, but yet this wide open field of perception 360 all the way around us where mm -hmm. like you can, you can feel the the temperature of the air and the way the breeze moves on your skin and who's beside you, who's behind you. Like there's this, this very heightened um, sensory experience. And uh, I think that there's like that beautiful hum in embodied being mm. like 
in, in terms of the nervous system, like we talk about this in our trainings a lot of like yoga often teaches people to go in very well. But then if we're all in all the time <laughs> or oh we're God, all out crazy. all the time, yeah. you know, like, like we need the capacity to do both and like flip the switch, but also dial it in to the like more regulated, nuanced um, kind of state where we're both at the same time. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, I've been playing with that a lot this past year as well of like healing from ferns experience coming into the world and preparing for this experience like really playing with that in my own system and um yeah for whatever that's worth if <laughs> no, yeah. I, that, no I appreciate that that's that's yeah yeah that's awesome that's I, I know that will resonate with people it, it, greatly I think that's huge and I could go 15 different directions with that but I won't um yeah. So <laughs> say that for your second. We'll, we'll talk like polyvagal theory next time. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, all right. Well, what anything else that's on your heart, sister, that you feel needs to be shared in any way? I I just love you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I I loved that you invited me on, um, you know, to share my story and just this whole conversation. Um, it's brought out parts of my story that like, you know, I didn't consciously register when I got your email with the questions and, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I decided as well not to do a ton of preparation around this interview because Good. that tends to get me a little bit more into sort of like programmed narratives and, you know, all that. And I just decided, nope, this is about being present and just show up and have a good time with Natalie. So oh, thank you for... Yeah, thank you for inviting me on. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for taking time. I know you're, you've got sweet fern there, I know, and everything. So I appreciate mm. you taking time to be with me and to share everything. And I want to make sure that um, those who have been listening know how to contact you and reach out to you if they have felt uh, inspired or connected to you. So how mm -hmm. can people reach you? Yeah, uh, the easiest probably is sherrydostel.com. That's my website. Um, and I imagine you'll have that like linked wherever the podcast is showing up. I will. Um, so SherryDostel.com. Um, Sherry Dostel is also my Instagram, whatever it's called. Is it a handle? I don't I even know. Your name. Yeah, whatever it is. <laughs> whatever it is. Um, I'm not really on Facebook. I, I usually am on Instagram, although I'm posting obviously far less these days as I'm kind of going into birthing and postpartum cave. Understand, um, yes. but yeah, yeah. People can reach out through my website or join my newsletter or whatever they feel compelled to do. So, oh, I love that. Yes, yeah. and I will be sharing all your information on my website and and any kind of extra notes and and goodness that we have. I've got. I took some notes over here. We'll have some fun memes of quotes that you said because you. Said <laughs> Stuff. So you're going to become a meme, which is really exciting. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> Everyone's <Life> goal. Is complete. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love you, Sherry, and Aww. we will uh, we'll stay connected, and I can't wait to hear about your upcoming delivery. Thank you. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm excited to talk with you again after. Me too. I want to thank you for spending part of your day here with us. Hopefully you have found some new inspiration, strength, and courage to move forward on your journey. 
Until we connect again, I see you and I love you.